Thank you. Uh, um, so if you're visiting this morning, then um, you'll be able to get your kids after our service. You would exit these back doors and hang a right and go across our gathering area. And that's where our kids area is. And that's where you'll be able to, uh, to get your kids, the non-labeled kids. <laughs> never going to drop this. Never going to drop it. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open those up to Romans chapter 15. If you need a Bible, there's some on the chairs there around you. If you're using those Bibles from the chairs, you're going to go to page 745, page 745. And, uh, you know, um, I spent two days at track meets this, uh, this week. Some of you guys were there too, some of y'all parents, some of you racers couldn't feel your legs afterwards, and some of y'all got some, some sunburns on your neck, but... You know, one thing that uh, is true about us here as we're coming to the end of Romans is it's like that race. It could be the longest race. I mean, we've been in Romans for a little while, not as long as others, but you know, you, you, you've got one more lap to go and you, you know that you can see the end of the race and you, you kind of start to, 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 to get excited and you, and you start to, to kick in the reserves, right? That's kind of where we are as we're, we're racing to the end of the, the letter to the Romans. We've got just, um, I think it's three more messages after today in the, in the Romans, Lord willing. And then we will, um, after Easter, start something new. And we'll talk more about that later. All right, so Romans chapter 15, we are uh, in this, this last section where the Apostle Paul has been writing to this church that he's never actually met, right? And so now he's, he's winding things down. And, and really, like I said the last time I was here, two weeks ago, was, was this is the part of the letter where it feels like it's a lot of just personal stuff between Paul and the people he's writing to. It, it feels like if I'm reading this, I'm gonna skip over this or just read through it just to say I read through it because this is really about him and them and not really anything to me. And I hope that you're gonna see something different. Now, now to be sure, the, the verses we're gonna look at this morning, they have factual data, right? I mean, Paul's talking about things where he says, hey, I hope to come to you, but I'm going to go here first, right? He says things like that. And, and just on a practical level, just, just so you know, it's things like that, factual data where we can say, hey, Paul just said he's going to take a trip to Jerusalem. Well, we can find historical documentation of when Paul went to Jerusalem with this, this money that he's going to talk about. Right? So we can see that in the book of Acts. We can find that from other historians outside of the Bible. And that kind of thing is how we are able then to get an idea of, well, when did Paul write this letter? Right? So, so for instance, we know that Paul went to this, this, this uh, trip to Jerusalem before a certain date. So we don't know then that letter of Romans had to be written before that date. Right? Or, or we might find somewhere else where it talks about Paul getting imprisoned, or um, we, we, we know he made it to Rome, but he was imprisoned in Rome at some point. We look at that and we go, that can be attested by other historical documents, which then helps us to know that Paul must have wrote Romans before that time. And that's how we figure out when did these books get written. Right? And we can narrow it down really a lot of times to um, within a, a two or three year time period. So there's value in it for that for that purpose, because that impacts how you interpret things. Because if you know certain events haven't happened yet, or certain events were happening at the time Paul was writing, that helps you to understand and fill in the gaps that Paul would not have had to fill in for his, writer, his readers, because they were living it, but we're not. So there, there is that kind of stuff, and it, and it has value. But I think what you're going to see this morning, too, is as we read through it, you, you, you glean things from the perspective of this person as he, as he, as he interacts with the people he's writing, uh, writing to, right? And so we're going to look at this morning, what does it look like to experience joy as a believer in Christ, but specifically 
Believers in Jesus experience joy in community with other believers. What does it look like for believers in Christ to experience joy in community, in relationship with other believers? Because when we think about joy, we, we, we might tend to, to think about it in an isolated, individual kind of way. I get joy when I do this, or this activity brings me joy, right? But I wonder if we think about experiencing joy when we're in the presence of others. And what can that look like, and, and what should that look like? Because that's what, that's what Paul shows this morning. Believers in Jesus experience joy in community with other believers. And so we're going to see three ways that that Paul is going to describe experiencing joy this morning. Three ways that Paul's going to talk about believers experiencing joy. And the first one's going to be this. Believers experience joy in one another's presence. Believers experience joy in one another's presence. And so if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 15, we're starting with verse 22. Verse 22. All right. Believers experience joy in one another's presence. Verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. That's where Paul starts. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at that, right? Where Paul says, hey, I've been meaning to come to you. I've wanted to come to you. But Paul sees his ministry in fulfilling the gospel ministry of Christ. He sees his role as starting churches in places where the gospel had not been proclaimed. And so Paul was traveling to places where the gospel had not yet been proclaimed. And so he says, this is why I have been hindered so far from coming to you. Because he's been going from place to place. And the gospel's already established in Rome. Where, where Paul's writing. Now, Paul didn't start that church. Someone else did. But, but the gospel has been proclaimed there. There's an established church there. And so Paul sees his, his role as going to the places where the church has not been established. And so Paul says, this is why. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But he's been very clear from the beginning of the letter to now, I want to come to you. I, I'm writing to you and I want to come to you. So we're going to keep reading. Verse 23. He says, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So verse 23, he says, look, so my work is done here. And, and what he means by that is, hey, he's, he's reached about all the places that he thinks he's going to be able to reach where the gospel's not been proclaimed. And so now he sees himself heading off to a new frontier, a, another place where the, the gospel had not been reached. Ultimately, he's heading towards Spain, right? He sees himself going to kind of one of the farthest parts of the known world at that time. And, and that's a perspective we've got to keep in mind is, is, is Paul's not thinking global in the sense that you and I think about global. We have very much been globalized because of the way we can get connected now with, with other nations across the world, other countries, other people groups. That was not Paul. They had, an, they had a known world. The Roman Empire conquered a, a certain area, and that was considered the known world. What was beyond that? They knew people were beyond that, right? But they were barbarians. They were uncivilized, or, or you didn't go there. And so oftentimes when the New Testament writers talk about um, the, the, the world, they're oftentimes talking about the known world. And so when Paul is seeing himself going and established churches, and he says something like this, I no longer have any room for work in these regions, he's, he's likely talking about the area that has been um, known at that point. And now he sees himself going to some more of those unknown parts, like Spain, or, or some of those further regions, and so he says, and I'm, I'm going to stop in on you on my way there because I've longed to come to you for many years. And so I want, I want to point out, 
Paul's language to these people that some of whom he's never, he's never met. He's, he's met a handful of them. Like, I mean, maybe if you know your Bible, you know the name Priscilla and Aquila, right? The, the married couple, right? They're in the church at Rome, right? And, and, and so Paul knew them because they traveled with them at some point. Um, it, it's possible there's other people in that church that Paul's interacted with, but there's a large number of people he's not. And he says still to them, I've longed for many years to come to you. I want to, and so now I'm going to hopefully get that, that chance. And in verse 24, he says, I hope to see you in passing. Now, I don't know. You know, we've got American values and American customs, and we've got manners and social etiquette, and that's unique to us, right? And so something like this, it probably hits us in a weird way. Like, I hope to see you in passing, as I go to Spain, oh, only in passing, Paul, might, might go through my mind, right? Only in pa- as I go to Spain, and to be, this is it, and to be helped on my journey there by you. Paul's saying, and I hope that you're going to give me a financial gift, right? I mean, that's what he's saying, right? But it, 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 Americans don't like to talk about money. American Christians don't like to talk about money. Well, some do. Um, in our circles, we don't like to talk about money. Right? You start talking about money in a certain way, I'm picking up and I'm taking my family out of here because I'm not going to have that guilt put on me or, or, or something like that, right? Um, you know, there's the other opposite extreme where all it is is money, you know? But, but Paul says, I hope to come to see you in, in, on my way to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. He had an expectation that as he would come to Rome, he's going to spend some time with them I, once I have enjoyed your company, but he also hoped that they would help him financially, send him off. That's how Paul made his living, right? He, he worked, he, he, made, he made some things, right? But, but as, as he was able, he was trying to give himself full time to this. And so in order to do that, you had to be helped and sent on your way. You had to have supplies and things like that. And the reason that this smacks us is because we are so individualized in America or in the Western, westernized countries, right? We're very individualistic. Right? We, we don't like to depend upon other people. I'm going to make my own way. <sighs> Case could be made that more people need to think like that. Right? But I'm going to make my own way. Lord, help me. I'm amped up this morning with some stuff. Um, you know, the, I'm going to make my own way, and I'm not going to depend on anybody, and what, what I earn belongs to me. Right? That, that's our, our kind of thinking and our, and our shape. Right? But in the Middle East, and, and, and particularly the, this time, the biblical time in the East, if I have something that you need, I share that with you hospitality was a big deal. And hospitality wasn't like, I have you over for dinner and then you go home, right? It's, uh, um, and we've planned that for a couple weeks. It, it's somebody's passing through. It could be a relative. It could be a, a stranger. And they have need of a place to stay for the night. You didn't know they were coming because they didn't call, right? They didn't, they didn't let you know what time they were going to arrive. And now they're at your door, right? And they're knocking, right? And, and can I have a place to stay tonight? And now you're going to feed them. That was the expectation. And it was a shared expectation. Hospitality was a big deal. You take people in and you feed them and you care for them, even if you didn't have much. And we've got stories in the Bible where that's illustrated. You know, like there's a parable that Jesus talks about where um, someone stops in on this family and so they don't have enough stuff to make what they need for food so they go next door to the neighbor. It's really late at night, right? And they're knocking on the door uh, trying to see if I can get some, you know, so, some supplies to be able to make some food, right? That, that was part of the culture. And so, so Paul's not doing something that's arrogant or presumptuous. It, it's just part of the culture. It would not have smacked them the way it might smack us with our, our perspective, right? And so he says, I hope to be helped by you on this journey once I have enjoyed 
your company. Man, do we, do we talk like that? I mean, there, there are some people, every one of us will go, man, I really enjoy their company. But Paul hasn't met some of these people, right? So how can he say he's going to enjoy their company, right? I mean, what if they don't click personality-wise? What if they, what if they, they just don't have the same common interests? And, and what, if, what if he's just got weird people in that church, right? I mean, what if, what if, what if, right? Probably, okay. I mean, every church has got them, right? All right. So um, once I have enjoyed, Paul is Paul is saying, I expect to enjoy your company. I want to enjoy your presence. Believers experience joy in one another's presence. Believers experience joy when, when they're with one another. Now, and you've experienced this to some extent, perhaps, I hope, right? Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, Paul had said something similar at the beginning of the letter. This is from the very first chapter of Romans, chapter 10. He says, I always, in my prayers, make mention of you, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you. See, it's very similar language to what he's concluding his letter with. I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And Paul says, once I have enjoyed your company, Paul is not looking to just take. See, so for believers to experience joy in one another's presence, it's got to go both ways. It's got to be a mutual, like, like what Paul just said, uh, or what Paul said in, in chapter one, so that we may be mutually encouraged. Like, I mean, I can't tell you, you've been, been in this spot too, uh, where you, you, you've met with someone and you've done all the pouring out and they leave encouraged and you leave drained. And you're like, I just, I just feel like they took and took and took, Right? But then perhaps, perhaps you've had that experience where, yeah, you poured out, you poured out, but then they poured in somehow. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't that, that there was a certain expectation of how that needed to look, but it was just each one mutually looking to encourage one another. How can I be a blessing to you? And you are looking to be, how can I be a blessing to that other person? And there's a mutual encouragement there where both come away with what they needed. Why? Why? Because the Lord was in the midst of that. Right? Because both are not living their lives looking for just what do I need? What do I need? Give me what I need. Then I can give you what you need. But they're both others oriented because that's how Christians are supposed to live. Others oriented, right? And, and Lord, and, and, and every opportunity, we, we should be asking, Lord, what do you want me to do here? Help me to be obedient in this opportunity. What do I have from you that you wanna give here? And, and so when Paul says we wanna be a mutually encouraging to one another, and he talks about enjoying one another's company. That's how believers experience joy in one another's company, is when we gather and our purpose in gathering is, I'm not looking just to take, to take, to take. I'm looking to be mutually encouraged. I want to be encouraged by you, and, and, I, and I hope I'm an encouragement to you as well, right? That's, that's what Paul's describing here. Now, let me just say, I, I know some, some of you, you're like, well, I've, I've never really experienced joy in the presence of other believers in Christ. I have a lot of fun when I gather with other people, but it just seems dull when I'm with 
believers in Christ. And, and perhaps that maybe some expectations need to be adjusted or what, what, you're, what you're expecting from time together needs to be adjusted. Maybe, yeah, yeah. But c- can, I, can I suggest that maybe if, if you don't find yourself longing to spend time with believers in general, and that you don't find maybe joy in the presence of, of believers in general, it, is maybe because you've not actually experienced what that joy in the presence of other believers can be. And then let me keep going and say, and if you have spent time with other believers and you're going, man, there's no shortage of time with other believers. I I live my life among other believers. And yet you find I don't experience joy in their company or it's not mutually encouraged. May May I suggest that perhaps maybe something's missing in what you're doing when you gather. Perhaps the focus of why you're gathering has been lost. Perhaps you've fallen into a rut, which we all do, right? You've fallen into a rut and you're just doing things for the sake of doing it or you're doing it because this is easy and nobody has to manage this or thing and there's nothing really required of me except to show up and just be whatever I am, you know? But what if we went into our gatherings, our small groups, our classes, our discipleship groups, our Sunday gatherings, and we're asking the Lord, what what do you want to do in this time? How do you want to, to use me, work through me in this time? And yes, you can be praying things like, Lord, I, I need to be encouraged, and you know it, and you know the ways, and, I, and I'm asking that you would, you would be an encouragement to me during this time. But, but what if we were to also start praying, Lord, how can I be an encouragement here? Even if I get nothing else from this, how can, how can I be an encouragement here to these others? Lord, how can you, and that, that could be words that are said, that could be things that are taught, that could, be, that could be a prayer that's prayed, that could be just your presence. And your presence is an encouragement to someone because of who you are on a consistent basis, because maybe you're safe and the person you're, you're, you're in the presence of, they, they need to be around safe people or, or, or who knows what the Lord wants to do, right? Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a handshake that goes a little further and it's a, a, a sincere I'm trying to f- figure out what men do, right? A sincere hand on the shoulder or, you know, a, a bro hug, you know, or, or if, it's a, if it's ladies together, you're, you're hugging one another and that hug says it all, right? I mean, maybe it's that, but Lord, how can I be an encouragement? And perhaps if you've never experienced joy or it's been a while since you've experienced joy in the presence of other believers, maybe there's something missing in what you're doing when you gather. Maybe your focus has been lost. Maybe, maybe there's intention that is lacking, And so, Lord, show us. What do you want to do with this time? How do you want to encourage us all? Because that's the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not one person ministering to many. That's dysfunction. But the body of Christ is all believers in Christ are gifted. All believers in Christ share the same spirit. All believers in Christ are part of the same body but different parts of the body. Right? And so you need all the parts of the body contributing so that the body can function and stay healthy and grow. But when you get to dysfunction, you have parts of the body deciding, I'm not going to work today. And, and so parts of the body are not working, and so it's dead weight that you're dragging, right? And then you've got just, just, just one or two or a handful of people that are carrying all of the weight and doing all of the ministering. They're pouring out, pouring out. But every believer in Christ is a minister, Am I preaching? Okay. Every believer in Christ is a minister. Every one of us. And most of us are sitting on the sidelines. And so therefore the body of Christ is lacking. 
And then it becomes easy for us if we're sitting on the sidelines to point out what's lacking. Hey, why doesn't the church do this? The church is not for you or anybody to dictate what they do to make you happy. The church is not about programs. We could scrap every single one of our programs, and maybe sometimes we should, right? Just so we regain focus. The church is not about a building. We, we could lose this building, and maybe we should if it would be for, for the better of us, right? Because what, what really matters is the church is the people, the body of Christ, indwelled by the Spirit, mutually encouraging one another, bringing the gifts that the Spirit has given us, and bringing them to bear in one another's presence. And that takes place wherever you are, yeah? And so perhaps if you've not experienced joy in the presence of other believers, maybe there's something lacking. And maybe we're to blame, your leadership. Maybe we're to blame because you're looking to us to, to, to tell you how to do something and you're just doing what you're told. And man, give us that feedback. If, if you're experiencing something, you're going, it just feels like something's off or it just doesn't feel like this is working. I had some great feedback by, from one of you. It's been a couple weeks now and it was just surrounding small groups and we we're kicking it around and trying to figure out like how do we do small groups in a way that works in this community? And, and you gave me some great feedback just with unique perspective on this kind of community. And it got me thinking in different ways. Like now, I don't have answers, but I see your point. There's our challenge. How do we do that? How do we still fulfill what God is calling us to fulfill? How do we still be the body of Christ in this context? All right, but that's point one. We gotta keep going. All right. So believers also then experience joy in giving to one another. Believers experience joy in one another's presence was the first one. Now we see believers experience joy in giving to one another. All right, so look at at verse 25. At present, so Paul's just said, I long to come to you, right? At present, verse 25, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. All right, so Paul says, listen, I long to come to you and I hope to come to you. I hope to be helped by you and I want to enjoy your company. But first, I've got to go to Jerusalem. Right? And, and so why is Paul going to Jerusalem? He says, I'm bringing aid to the saints. Okay, so now there's a, there's a church in Jerusalem, right? This is where the gospel was, was uh, the, the, the day of Pentecost, where the, the gospel was initially proclaimed in that way, and the 3,000 uh, people came to Christ, mostly Jewish people or God-fearers, which is a description of non-Jewish people who worshiped the one true living God. And so you've got these people who then get spread out. They were from all over because they were in Jerusalem for the feast, the day of Pentecost, right? And so then they go back to their places and many of them bring this new faith to the, the places where they're at. And that's how the church in Rome got started, right? Now, we know then that the church in Jerusalem experienced a famine at some point. It was actually prophesied by, by one of the prophets in the book of Acts named Agabus, right? And so, so, so as Paul's traveling around to all these other places in what would be modern day Turkey, Right? The, the Christians in Jerusalem are experiencing a famine. And so, so they're, they're having hard times there. And so Paul, as he's going to these different places in, in modern-day Turkey, he's collecting an offering. He's letting them know, hey, your brothers and sisters in Christ down in Jerusalem, they're having a hard time. If you have something to offer, he's going to take that to them. And so he's been collecting that. And so that's what he's going to bring to them. Now, now, this is a big deal. Like we read that and we think, okay, fine, you know, Paul's just bringing money to the, to, the, to the church in Jerusalem. This is a big deal because this is another picture on display of what kind of barriers the gospel breaks down because it would have been unheard of for Jews to accept money 
from Gentiles in times of need. That's, that would be like blood money. That'd be dirty money. That'd be tainted. Those are, those are Gentiles. We don't have anything to do with them, right? And, and so the gospel, though, as you see it unfold in the book of Acts, it's just breaking barriers. It was predominantly early on a Jewish church. The, the Christians were Jewish by descent. But then you see by the time you get to Acts chapter 8, it starts to break that barrier because it goes to the Samaritans, right? Half Jew, half Gentile group of people. And then as you keep going through the book of Acts, ladies, you are doing this on Tuesday morning, right? You go to chapter 10 and you see full on to open to the Gentiles with Cornelius, the, the centurion, right? And so you see this gospel just spreading out further and further and it's breaking these social barriers. And the same experience that the Jews had on the day of Pentecost is the same experience with the spirit that they have in Acts chapter eight and in Acts chapter 10. Why? Because God is showing them same spirit, same work, bringing you all together. This is the new covenant. Right? And so now Paul bringing money from the Gentile churches to the Jewish churches is a way that he's able to show God is doing a work among these Jew- non-Jewish people. And your brothers and sisters in Christ who are outside of the nation of Israel, they are, are, are giving to you. And, and there's this, this, this melding coming together of this new group of people, the church. Right? This is a big deal because social barriers are being crossed. And so the, the, the saints, the Christians in Jerusalem are going to be receiving money from non-Jewish people. Big deal. All right, we go on, verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And so Paul continued to talk about it. These are the places he's been, and he says the Christians there, they were pleased. They were glad to. They were glad to, right? And I highlighted this word to, to, to make some contribution because the word there in the Greek, this is a big deal. We've talked about this word. You know this word. Koinonia. Oftentimes, in other contexts, it's, it's, it's translated fellowship. It could be sharing. This word's got a broad use and uh, how it can be translated. And Paul's using that word, koinonia, which oftentimes shows up in the idea of community, um, this genuine, authentic type of community, sharing of possessions with one another is included in there. He calls the gift, the financial gift, the contribution, he calls it koinonia. So um, they were pleased to make some koinonia. That's a a weird way to talk about community, right? But Paul has this idea that uh, believers, we don't just share one another's presence. We share what we have with one another. What I have is yours. What you have is mine. If you have need and I have the ability to meet that need, it's yours, right? This is the idea within the church. This is what they were doing. And so he says they were pleased to do this for the poor those who have need in Jerusalem. Verse 27. Verse 27. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in in material blessings. Again, a weird thing for Paul to say here. They were pleased to do it, and we're going, okay, because Christians, you're supposed to give cheerfully and joyfully, and where there's need, meet need, right? And indeed they owe it owe it to him. Wait a minute, Paul. I don't want you telling me I owe anything. I want to do it on my own. Don't tell me I owe something and therefore I have to do it, right? But that's what Paul does. He, he says they're pleased with it and indeed they owe it to him. Why do you say that, Paul? Why do you say it like that, Paul? For, for if the Gentiles have come to share, highlight that word because you know what that word is in Greek? Any guesses? Koinonia. Yeah. 
Yeah, they have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be of service to them in the material blessings. Here's Paul's way of thinking. The Gentiles are being brought into a covenant that God had made originally with uh, uh, Jewish people. And he had originally made it with Abraham. And by physical descent, the Jews are related to Abraham. But these Gentiles are not, right? But, but the, the, the new covenant and the blessing of Abraham is extended beyond the Jewish people to all types of people. And so Paul is able to say the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, they've come to share in the spiritual blessings. As we have the spirit of God given to us, right? We are sharing in the blessing that God said would come through Abraham. And so therefore, the covenants that were made with the Jewish people have been extended and opened to non-Jewish people to come in. We are being adopted in, or as Paul said in Romans 11, grafted in, right? And so he looks and he says, hey, you're benefiting spiritually from these Jews. The least you can do is give them what you have materially to bless them. And do you see Paul's hierarchy? What's more important? The spiritual blessing is the greater thing. And so if you're experiencing the spiritual blessing, he says, it shouldn't really be that big of a deal to share in the material blessings. That's that's Paul's way of thinking here. Now, Paul talks like this in similar ways in other letters. 1 Corinthians 9.11, he'll say something like this. If we have sown spiritual things among you, so he's talking about teaching you, discipling them, right? Is it too much if we reap material things from you? So Paul's talking about how uh, those who are ministering on behalf of God, teaching the word, they, they can benefit from teaching the word. So they, they can accept pay for that kind of thing, right? That's what he's saying. We've sown spiritual things. Can we not reap material things? The greater thing is spiritual, the lesser is material. Uh, this is Galatians chapter six, verse six. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches, and so again, you see this, there's spiritual things and then there's material things. And so he, he, he speaks like this in, in, in other places. It's not an odd thing. Let me show you the verse one more time so it's in your head. They were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them. For the gen, if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in the material blessings. I think Paul also has this understanding from Isaiah in the Old Testament. He, he understood that, that God had, plan, had a plan in the latter days and that that plan was unfolding in Paul's day. Let me show you. This is Isaiah chapter 60, verse 10. This is just one spot where you can see this. Foreigners, that's your Old Testament way of talking about non-Jewish people. Foreigners shall build up your, that's the Jewish people, build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. Though the foreigners' kings shall minister to the Jewish people. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I've had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually day and night, and they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. Paul is bringing in part, doing his part to bring the wealth of the nations to Jerusalem. Paul wants to go to Spain because Paul sees himself as fulfilling, bringing the gospel to all of these places that God had already named in the book of Isaiah. And Paul is, is trying to, to, to get to those places so that these things will come to pass. And so they were pleased to make a contribution. 
Paul, Paul has a greater perspective. He understands where he fits in God's story. All right. When therefore, verse 28, I have completed this and I have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. All right, cool. 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. That's Paul's way of saying in God's time and it will be fully blessed. All right, so then believers experience joy, the last one, in praying for one another. So we saw believers experience joy in one another's presence. We saw believers experience joy in giving to one another. And lastly, we'll see believers experience joy in praying for one another. So look with me at verse 30. I appeal to you, Brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Okay, so Paul's saying, pray with me. Pray with me and be intentional. Pray with me. He says, strive together with me. What is Paul asking for prayer on? Verse 31. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, because he's going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's in the region of Judea. It'd be like a county, right? that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. We'll pause there for a moment. Paul's asking for prayer. I want to be protected from the unbelieving people in Judea. Paul was attacked by Jewish people who were not believers in the Messiah almost everywhere he went. So he's saying, pray for me that I'd be protected from them. Right? And then he would say, Pray for me that my service, my time to, in Jerusalem among the believers there would be acceptable. That would be pleasing. It would be good and useful. All right. We need to be praying for one another. So Paul says, pray that I'd be delivered from unbelievers. That's a prayer we can be praying together now. That may seem weird, but let me, let me unpack that a little bit. How can we be praying for one another for protection from those who are not believers in Christ? We might phrase it this way. How do we pray for one another to be protected from those who don't share our values in Christ? All of a sudden, boom, now this opens it up, right? Because listen, um, I'm I'm, I'm really kind of amped up on this one because I've been involved in some stuff on multiple fronts. We need to pray for one another that we would be protected from those who do not share God's value in regard to the way we raise our families, okay? Because the way we raise our families as we're doing it according to the Lord's standards is going to fly in the face of the direction the world has been going and is going. And it will be a threat to them and it will be a threat to us from them, right? And so we need to pray for protection because we, we can be impacted by those who don't share our values in Christ, right? And you know it. And we are experiencing it to some degree. And some of you have experienced that other times, right? We have to be praying for, Lord, where there is injustice taking place, where there are people who do not share our values and are operating on their godless values and trying to impose them on us, we need to be praying for one another to be protected by that, okay? We need to pray for one another to be protected from those who don't share God's values in the places where we work. Because as we work in these places that that God has placed us, and we do so while standing on God's values as as believers in Christ, living in accordance with God's law and his standards, that's going to fly in the face of those who don't share those values. And it's going to be a threat to them. 
And so then they are going to become a threat to us. And so they might try to remove us. They might try to get rid of us. They might try to cause harm to us. They might try to cause damage to us financially or to our families. And so we must be praying for one another that in the midst of being surrounded by people who don't share God's values in our workplaces, that we would be protected from that. And the list could go on and on and on. If you've got kids and you're sending them to schools, we're going to pray that, that, that God would protect them from those who don't share God's values that are in that school, who are teaching them, who are influencing them, who are leading them, caring for them. These are the places where we can be praying for one another to be protected or delivered from unbelievers, right? And when we, when we start to unpack what that can look like in our day, you see there is no shortage of why we need to be praying for one another along these lines because it's on, it's on multiple fronts. And it's, and it's more rapidly now. It's not new. It's not new. We're just far more globalized. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon says. Nothing that we're experiencing today is new in and of itself. It might be packaged differently. It might be happening at a greater rate for different reasons. And we are just being exposed to it more readily because of social media and because of all the things we have access to. But nothing is new. And so we must still be praying for one another to be protected from those who don't share God's values, those who are not believers in Christ, who would then want to impose their values on someone else. And so, you know, may I just suggest that you work on definitions? Hello? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, what is a woman? Can you give me a definition for the word woman? Can, can we just start there? Right? I mean, just being able to, to, to have a ready answer. That's where we are right now. Right? I mean, can we just not have a ready answer? Because these, these people who don't share our values, and I'm not trying to, to pit us against them because we must always remain open and say, Lord, those are people who, who you might be calling to yourself. Right? And so they need to know the love of God through Christ. And yet, when other values that go against God's law are, are, are looking to be imposed upon us, we must, we must resist. And we must stand firm in that resistance. And we must be ready to push it back because we who have the spirit, we are the light of the world because Christ is in us. So we gotta be praying for one another. And then, yeah, let's pray for one another that when we're together that we would be a a blessing to one another, that would be acceptable to one another. We go on, verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So Paul has this understanding, it just undergirds all of the way he lives his life. God is sovereign. Nothing happens outside of his will. God is never surprised. He's never caught off guard. Paul has desires. And yet God's sovereignty and his desires, they, they might do this. They might, they might rub. And sometimes God will grant his desires in the time that Paul wants to see them granted. And other times God's desires and Paul's desires won't line up, even though Paul's desires are good desires. Right? Because ultimately God's sovereign, which is why Paul says, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And the last thing I really want to hit on is refreshed in your company. This is not like the type of refreshment you might get at the end of a vacation, 
let's be honest, who's refreshed when you come back from a vacation if you have kids? You're not. Nobody's refreshed after a vacation with kids. You're not, right? You, you had some fun and now you've got to recover, right? And, and so this is, not, this is not that kind of, and even if you don't have kids and you get away without your kids and you're sitting on a beach drinking, you know, pretty drinks with umbrellas in them and do it to the glory of God. I mean, do it to the glory of God, right? But even the type of rest and refreshment that you might get there is not what Paul's getting after here. This is the type of refreshment that, that points us to Christ, reorients us to Christ. It's the type of refreshment that comes when believers gather together and they're mutually encouraging to one another. And so you walk away going, man, I might be physically tire, tired, but I am filled. And I could have stayed there much longer because I am just filled. If you haven't experienced that, that's what God desires for us when we gather with one another, that we would be a refreshment to each other. I want to be that to, to people. I know you probably want to be that to people. You, you hope that you're that kind of person where when someone leaves your presence, they're going, man, I just feel refreshed. So Lord, help us to be that. And then verse 33, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So believers in Jesus experience joy in community with, with other believers. They experience joy in one another's presence, they experience joy in giving to one another, and they experience joy for praying with one another. Now listen, as a church, man, we are generous here. This is a very generous, financially speaking, congregation. And that has been on display time and time again. And I am so grateful. I, I love being a part of a congregation as generous and, and so small, comparatively speaking, and yet who is so willing to say, there's a need, let me meet that need. We, we've got the ability to meet so many different needs that churches our size would never even be able to consider meeting because this is a generous congregation, and God be praised for that. We, we do really well at giving to one another, really well. And so I would say, let's do so more. Like, we don't, we don't want to rest and I go, okay, we've hit that standard, let's sit, hit the cruise control. No, let's keep excelling even all the more to God's glory. On those other two, believers experience joy in, the, in each other's presence. We need to work on that. We have pockets, for sure, but we need to work on it. Because as someone who is interacting with the majority of the church, I can tell you that that's not most people's experience here. And it needs to be right? And so, so what is it need, what do we need to do in order for more people to experience what the pockets of you are experiencing, where there's joy in one another's presence, where there's connection and people are getting known? What do we need to do? And I'm not giving you an answer. I'm just saying, putting it to you. You start praying about it because I'm not the solution. You're, you're the solution. We are all together the solution. And so we have to say, hey, this is what God wants to do among us. One of the things he wants to do among us is that people would experience joy in each other's presence. And so when we don't have that happening, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we, how do we move people toward that? How do we create opportunities for that? How do I become the person who that's the case where people experience joy in my presence? We, we, want, we need to work on that. And we need to pray for one another. And I know there's, there's, again, there's pockets of us here who pray. And some of you are praying people, right? Um, we've made this distinction before. There's churches that pray and there's praying churches. 
We are not a church that I would call a praying church. We're a church that prays. And if that's an insult to you, I don't mean it to be an insult to you, more reality check. We don't pray and that includes me, right? We pray when things come up, but a praying church looks different. And we need to get there. And, and so Lord, help us to get there, right? Because we can't settle and go, we pray. We have this meeting we pray at. We have. God's not impressed with that. Does he have our heart? And is our heart then bent toward him to where we, we pray and we, and we pray and, and there's prayer taking place in the hallways and it's, and it's more than just the, I'll pray for you. I'll never forget. I, I don't know if I told you guys this story. It's, he's not here anymore. So um, this guy, he was in our church, a leader in our church. We were considering him for a leadership position. And uh, our JJ had just been born and he had we thought at the time flew and RSV at the same time. He was like two days old. That's not a winning combination. And so I was in Walgreens getting whatever I needed. I, I, I think we also had kids with strep. I don't even remember. And so it was just rough, right? And he saw me in Walgreens and he says, how are you? Now, in passing, what am I going to say? I'm good, man, because I'm just going to get my medicine, right? And I just stopped and I, I, I gave him a little bit because I knew him a little more. He could have just said, you know, I'm going to be praying for you about that. Instead, he stopped, he put his hand on me, he says, let's pray about it right now. In the middle of Walgreens, that blessed me to no end. That's a man who, at least as far as I know him, and those of you who know him, you'd say, that's a praying man. It didn't even come without, no hesitation, let's pray about it right now. We want to be more people like that, where we, we know it's not just, well, what else can I do except pray for you? No, what can I pray for you? because now I have the opportunity to bring to the throne of grace. I have the opportunity to bring before the Father who, 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 is, who gives every good gift. I have the opportunity to bring that before Him on your behalf. What can I pray? Give me some specifics so that I can bring that to the Father with you. That's a praying church. We need to get there. I need to get there. So Lord, help us to get there. So let's let this just sit for a moment because I'm not trying to whip anybody. This is, this, is not a, this is not a spanking, right? This is, hey, we've got some good things going on. We can never settle. So let's excel all the more in the good things. And here's some areas we need to pay attention to. So Lord, show us.
So God, we sing a song like that, and, it, and it's not because we think that the Spirit's not here. We know He is. He's everywhere present. But it's about us. It's about us becoming open to you and your presence. Because if we're being honest, God, we are people that are impacted by sin, so we tend not to be open to your presence. And so this is, this is more a song not about us dictating to you what we want you to do, but, but God, us laying before you what we long for. We, we want more of you, not because there's more of you to give, but we want more awareness of what you're doing. And so, so God, that's what we're praying for in this church and, and in our lives and in our families is that we would be people that are more aware of who you are and what you're doing, that we would see that more often, that we would look for that more often, that we would then live in light of that more often. God, you know I, I'm so blessed by this church in so many ways. And to, to show up at funerals and, and to see people from this congregation just serving the, people, the family that are grieving. We, we've seen so much of that lately, even in Oklahoma City. And, and yeah, when, I, when, I, when I pull around the corner on this west side and just to see all these vehicles that I recognize, God, it's a blessing because this is a generous church who loves each other well, and yet we need to do so all the more for your glory. So Lord, help us. Father, I have watched this, this congregation surround families that are having their lives turned upside down and, and sacrifice and give and put themselves in inconvenience for the sake of others. And God, I'm so blessed by that. And I pray that you, you provide and protect and guide and, and bless them for that. And yet, God, we want to excel in this all the more. So Lord, help us to do that. And there are people in this church who truly enjoy one another's presence and, the, and, and the, the communion, the fellowship that takes place because of a shared faith in Christ. And I long for that for more people in this congregation. So Lord, help us. And if that means we've got to start with trusting in Christ because maybe there are some here this morning who have not, God, help us to understand the beauty of the gospel. That the reason all of this joy is possible is because, God, you are a generous God who did not withhold, but instead gave to those who are in need. Because you say, and Paul said in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You gave, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God, you are a giving God. You're a generous God, and that's why we ought to be generous people. So help us to do that. God, being in your presence is refreshing when we've experienced it. And so then the people that have your spirit ought to be people whose company is refreshing. And so Lord, help us. And so God, if it starts with we need to trust Christ to be brought into the family of God, to have the Spirit of God, then God, make that known, that we might turn from what we're trusting and instead turn to Christ, depending upon Him and what He's accomplished on our behalf in His death and His resurrection from the dead. Have your way with us, Lord, and let it be to your glory. May we never boast in what we accomplish, but only boast in what you accomplish through us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. See you guys.